Good morning, and welcome to Calvary Chapel. <laughs> Somebody said it's Joe. Somebody's phone's playing some worship music this morning. Well, there we go. Well, better that than like, you know, I don't even, I'm not even going to go there. Like you got to move it, move it or something of that nature. Well, this morning we, uh, we are going to address a subject uh, that uh, I think we need to address, and obviously the Holy Spirit seems to think we do. Uh, we've been looking at a lot of very interesting topics as the Lord has led us through the book of Psalms. We're in Psalm 142 this morning, and we've pretty much hit a lot of controversial, or not even controversial, just appropriate appropriate topics over the last few weeks. And this morning, I think we're, we're going to step away from the culture as a whole and look inwardly, because I think that the most important thing we need to do is look into our hearts and make sure that we, as children of God, are putting our trust in God. You know, the Bible says over and over again, fear not, do not be afraid. And uh, you'll remember that uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt famously said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. It's sad to me that in the midst of so many challenges of the 1930s and 40s, we had a president that said the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And, and now we have a culture that says the only ha- thing you have to fear is everything. You have to be afraid of everything at all times, fearful, your decisions governed by fear, your actions governed by fear. And what makes me sad is that the church has believed the lie that we should be afraid. Now listen, fear is a very significant challenge. Fear is real. It's a real reaction to the world we live in. But do you really think, seriously, do you think we're living in a day and an age where we should be more fearful than perhaps the 30s or 40s? Or let's go back a little further, even 1917, 1918, World War I and the Spanish flu. Or go back a little further, Civil War, Revolutionary War. And I'm just speaking in our country, let alone all of the things that have happened in the world over the many centuries. How about the first century? Being a Christian in a world that despised Christianity. Maybe the second or third century when Christians were being systematically persecuted and put to death. I really think if you take a moment and just just take one moment and think it through, we probably have a lot less to fear today than many of our brothers and sisters throughout the centuries. David, the great psalmist of Israel, oftentimes had to contend with fear. And when he dealt with fear, he dealt with it in a way that I think we can learn from today. He dealt with fear, very real fear, fear of his life, which honestly we know a little bit about now, but most of what we fear, it it really is fear itself. I think if, if, if you understand what we're going through right now and the statistics, you'll understand that the fear that we're made to feel really isn't as severe as the world would have us to believe. Now, having said that, Many of us have had to face sickness and death within our families. It's not as if we don't have to deal with these things. But brothers and sisters, that was true before. 
It's just that we've been lied to so much, I think we've started to believe that lie that we should be afraid. So this morning, as we study the prayers of David, which are prayers for deliverance, we're going to see how David dealt with his fear, a very real fear. Perhaps he had a bit more to fear than, than we do. But as we look at that, I want to encourage you. I want you to be encouraged by the Spirit to not fear To not be afraid, for God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. And perfect love does what? It casts out fear. So let's come to the Lord today in prayer and ask him to strengthen us. Because while there is an epidemic that we're dealing with in our world, the epidemic of fear is far more dangerous than any virus we can face. Let's pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, our fellowship. Lord, we thank you for our worship, the time of worship in your presence and praise. The time of gathering together like this that is threatened in today's world, and yet here we are, in your presence. And yes, we've had to face some some great challenges this last year, and coming up on a year, almost a year now, of our world being turned upside down, and yet really, more than anything else, We need to be strong in the face of difficulty. We need to be courageous and brave in the face of fearful circumstances. And we know the only way that will ever happen is if you strengthen us by your Spirit. So we ask as we study these Psalms this morning that that would be the result, that your Holy Spirit would fill us with peace and with joy and with strength such that we can face the challenges that we face each and every day not just with courage and strength, but with faith and with hope, and be a testimony to the world around us that we truly don't have anything to fear because we trust in you. We ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. When you're dealing with the subject of being afraid, you have to recognize right off the bat that God has called us not to be afraid. So if you are afraid, that's a normal human response to difficult circumstances. I can remember a couple years ago getting on, I guess it was Nitro. That's going back a a few years now. I was looking at a new roller coaster they're building at Great Adventure. It's apparently the highest, fastest, most, you know, craziest roller coaster yet. I thought to myself, here I am coming up on 56, and I can tell you I won't be riding that. It made me a little sad because I was a roller coaster enthusiast until my equilibrium said, what, are you crazy? I used to go on six or seven of those a day, then come home, go to sleep, wake up in the middle of the night and throw up. (laughs) But now I know that's not for me, but I can remember getting on Nitro and thinking to myself, I'm really afraid. Isn't this great? You see, that's sort of like that, that fear, it brings an adrenaline rush, and there's a part of that that's exciting, and yet, some of us would never ever get on that because we realize that the fear would overcome us. And some of us are just wiser than others. Listen, fear can have a very positive effect on you. Believe it or not, it really can. You can respond, spiritually speaking, you can respond to a fearful circumstance in faith, and by doing so, really grow in your relationship with the Lord. I've learned it. I've seen it, mostly on the mission field. I have been more afraid for my life in El Salvador than probably anywhere else I've ever gone. 
maybe in Guatemala was a couple moments there. I can remember coming back from Guatemala on a bus ride, and I didn't know whether to be more afraid of the police pulling us over or the gangs. But you know, in those circumstances, I was able to grow in my faith. David has been called into the desert by a set of circumstances. Saul, the king, wants to kill him. And not just rough him up, actually put him to death. Because you see, David has been anointed by Samuel to be king. And he was anointed as a young boy, and then he became the champion of Israel. And listen, David wasn't afraid of of, of much. You could say a lot of bad things about David, but he wasn't fearful. Or have we forgotten that he stood up to Goliath? That alone says David was not given over to fear. And when David was facing fear on the battlefield, when he was fearful... He overcame that fear and became a warrior. You know, they say that the the key to being successful in battle is not to be overcome by fear. Everyone's afraid when the bullets start to fly. The hero is the one that, despite those bullets, continues to press forward. So as we look at this psalm, recognize in Psalm 142, David is crying out to the Lord. And we're going to find out the secret to his overcoming fear. It was his prayer life. It was his relationship with God. So if you're being overcome with fear, brothers and sisters, that's the symptom. But the diagnosis is, it isn't a problem with fear, it's a problem with faith. It's a problem that you don't bring to God in prayer. So with that as a background, we're going to go through these brief psalms. And in this one, they're both prayers for deliverance. David is crying out to the Lord to deliver him from his enemies. He goes to God when he's afraid. He goes to God when he's afraid. You know what's sad? That many people are so afraid, they're not even going to God. That is, they're not coming to church. They're not looking to God. They're not growing closer to God. They've shuttered themselves in their homes. They've cut themselves off from the fellowship of the saints and the study of the word of God, which, by the way, with today's technology, if you can't leave your home for one reason or another, isn't even really a legitimate claim, because think about it. You can watch services online from anywhere in the world. There are plenty of churches that are, that are doing that. So what's the excuse? David knew that to go to God in his fearful circumstances was the only way to deal with fear. And so it starts out by telling us that this is a a mascal psalm. That is, that's a musical term. And if we look at the psalms, it seems to mean an emotionally contemplative song that is really thinking about the song. Have you ever listened to music that really just brought you back? For me, you know, I grew up, was born in the 60s, grew up in the 70s, you know, My early adulthood was in the 80s. There's a soundtrack to my life. And sometimes when I'm in the supermarket, I find the good news is that a lot of the songs I grew up with are still played all around me. And I'll hear a song, and it will bring me back to a moment. It'll bring me back to a place, and and it becomes emotional because I'm, I'm instantly transported to a place and a time in my life. And mascal psalms were psalms that were designed to cause you to be emotionally contemplative, to really take it in. This particular term is found in the titles of 13 psalms. This is the last of the psalms that are mascal psalms. It highlights the extreme emotion that resonates within this passionate psalm. Emotion is not a bad thing. The goal isn't to be Mr. Spock from the USS Enterprise. The goal is to be emotional, but to bring your passions and your emotions to God in prayer. 
David was incredibly passionate and emotional. You might say, oh, the way to deal with fear is to not be emotional. That's not true. It's to take those emotions, those passions, and surrender them to God. This psalm is related to a specific time in the life of David, talked about in 1 Samuel 22 and also in Psalm 57. It captures the meditations of his heart while he was hiding from Saul and his men in the desert of Judah, literally hiding and fleeing for his life. This psalm was written and sung after David went to the caves of Adullam to hide from Saul. Now, when I was a kid, the thought of exploring caves was interesting to me. As I've gotten older, it's, it's, it's frightening to me, the idea of crawling through caves. All kinds of things could be in there and you might not get out. I can't imagine that this was a pleasant experience. David doesn't describe it as such. He was on the run from Saul, the king of Israel, was trying to kill him, and his family even joined him while he was in political exile because his family was threatened. The easiest way to have gotten to David would have been to threaten his family. So his family joins him. Uh, He had been anointed, as we've said, by Samuel as Israel's future king like 13 years earlier. He'd grown from a young shepherd boy to Israel's celebrated champion and prince, and he was once considered the most insignificant member of his family. But now they look to him to protect him, to protect them, uh, during this time of civil unrest. They're looking to him to protect them. About 400 men in need of strong leadership, joined him in political exile. These were discontented people who didn't like the current administration. Uh, They were very unhappy with the way things were in Israel. And now David, who had once led the armies of Israel, was leading this motley crew of about 400 men, including some family members. These men were in distress, we're told. They were in debt, we're told. They were discontented, we're told. They provided him with the assistance and the protection he needed from Saul's forces. So what are they doing? Hiding in caves. And this psalm is a desperate prayer for the Lord to deliver him from Saul and his forces. Don't kid yourself. He was extremely emotional, extremely afraid. And yet, this gives us insight as to how he prayed during those difficult years while he was in exile. And I think we'll learn when we read in verse 1. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. Before him, I tell my trouble. See, David's not saying, oh, everything's great. This is wonderful. See, some people, in order to deal with fear, they delude themselves. They deny what's going on around them. That's denial. That's delusion. That's not the same thing as being courageous. Oh, there's no problem. Everything's going to be okay. That's not what David did. He cries out to the Lord to hear his prayer, asking for him to show him mercy and opening up his heart He shares with the Lord the trouble that he finds himself in. The very first thing we need to do is cry out to God and say, things are really bad right now, Lord. We have a government that's evil in our country. We have a world that's evil. We have global forces working against all mankind. It's pretty much what we read is going to happen in the last days. By the way, if you haven't figured it out, you're in the last days. Whether we're in the last of the last days or not, we're in the last days. Now, as David felt fear, he cried out to the Lord. As we feel fear, what do we do? We we binge on news. Have you noticed that doesn't help? I've been staying away from the news a lot, like 
And every once in a while, I've been checking the financial news. And unfortunately, as I check those things, some of what's going on in the world sort of infiltrates. And then I start to think about it. Boy, you can get really depressed if you watch the news. And it isn't because of the news. It isn't what's happening in our world. It's the spin around everything that's happening in this world. If you listen to one news station, everything was terrible for the four years prior, and, and now everything's going to be great. You, you listen to another channel, every, everything's horrible now. It was great for the last four years. Here's the truth. God's been in control for four years, 40 years, 400 years. If you approach things like that, you're in trouble. And I don't think I need to tell you, you can't trust anything you hear anymore, right? Or read online. You know that, right? Oh, but it was on the internet. Oh, we know better. I saw an article this week that now Dr. Fauci is saying, oh, it might be good to wear two masks. I sent an email, I think it was to Raj, I said, maybe they should just use duct tape because that would have the additional advantage of suppressing free speech. I hope you're not listening to that stuff. These are the same people that told you you shouldn't go to church. Listen, David knew what to do with fear. He brought it to God, and he pressed forward. Look at verses 3 through 4. He, he describes the desperate circumstances that he's facing. He's not in denial. He's in trouble, and he's going to pour out that trouble to God. He says it this way in verses 3 through 4. When my spirit grows faint, you know, I really feel like that sometimes. That's a good description. My spirit grows faint. It's like I'm fading away. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who know my way. In the path where I walk, men have have hidden a snare for me. Look to my right and see, no one is concerned for me. I have no refuge, no one cares for my life. Now, there were about 400 people around him that cared about him, but in general, he's talking about the nation. He had been the champion, now everyone is is working against him. It seems like everyone's against him, and he's not being paranoid. It's kind of true. He's distressed. We know distress. But he's also aware that the Lord knows exactly what he's going through. Can I hear an amen? That's the part we never factor in. Did you think everything was just going to be like wonderful forever? You know, it wasn't wonderful before. It just now when you compare it to today, you think, oh, things are horrible. They were wonderful before. It's that good old days, you know, philosophy. Like, oh, those were the good old days. You know when the good old days were? Far enough in the past for you to forget how difficult they were. That's what we do to ourselves. We lie to ourselves. Here he shares that his enemies are doing their best to trap and to kill him. That was true. He feels, he feels, be careful to separate your feels from facts. But he feels that no one's concerned for him or trying to help him. That's one of the things that's wonderful about coming together in worship and in fellowship. You start to realize, you know what? There are people that love me and care about me and are glad to see me. You don't get that online. But he feels that his enemies are too strong. He feels that no one's concerned. He feels that he has no safe place to hide from his enemies. That's how he feels. And he says so. But what does he do with that feeling? He cries out to God for deliverance. He says, Lord, that's how I feel. Now I need you. By faith, I'm asking you to deliver me. To deliver me. What does deliverance look like? It looks like you being able to function in the face of fear. The fear doesn't go away, you know that. But the faith overcomes fear to the degree that you're functional. So if you're not functional right now, that is, 
You're crippled by fear. You're constantly afraid. You, you do, do you know how stressful that is on your body, on your mind, on your spirit? Do you know what that does? A year of being afraid? Do you know what that does to you? That in and of itself is more dangerous than catching the flu. In fact, it predisposes you to catching flus and viruses. You know what I've noticed? And there's a trend here. And I have no scientific proof. But I've noticed that many people who are very afraid of getting sick get sick. It seems to me, I don't know if I'm right, that the people I've known who have been the most concerned have actually gotten the virus and the people who aren't as concerned either have gotten it and recovered very easily or didn't get it at all. I can tell you this much. Fear and anxiety works against your immune system. That's true. Amen? That's true. We know that. Any doctor will tell you that. It puts stress on your body and causes you to not be able to function. When you're functional in a time of fearfulness, it's only because God has given you the faith to overcome your circumstances. David was able to function in the face of fearful circumstances. And he says so here when he cries out for deliverance. He says, I cry to you in verse 5. I cry to you. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Interesting. Set me free from my prison. A lot of people have incarcerated themselves. There are some people that haven't left their house in almost a year. And when they do, they're all masked up. They get in their car. They have the arrangements. They go to the grocery store. They come out. They put the groceries in the trunk, and they drive away, and they put it in the garage, and they leave the car in there for three days in case there are any lingering germs that might be there. And listen, I understand when this thing first happened, that was kind of the protocol. But there are some people who haven't worked past that. And I feel badly for them. Because that kind of fear can be debilitating and you become dysfunctional. I'm not saying the virus isn't real. I'm just saying fear is probably worse if given into. That's all I'm saying. He declares, the Lord is the only one that can keep him safe. Can I hear an amen? You are my refuge. You are my refuge. My portion in the land of the living. You see, only God can truly keep you safe. He declares the Lord is the only earthly inheritance that he has. You're my portion in the land of the living. That is, you're all I really have in this life when it comes right down to it. He asked the Lord to rescue him from those that are pursuing him. And he was actually being pursued. His fears were legitimate. Our fears are legitimate. But his fears were legitimate. Like there were people trying to kill him and he's hiding in the darkness of caves to stay alive. And yet he has the wherewithal to say... Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me. He went to the Lord in his need. They are too strong for me. He understood he doesn't stand a chance if he comes out of the cave. He can't defend himself. He doesn't have the forces necessary to defend himself from his enemies. They're too strong. They're just too strong for him to evade. So he cries out to God, who is strong. Amen. Was, has all strength. He asked the Lord to provide a way for him to escape from the cave where he's hiding. Remember, he's in a cave. And he says in the first part of verse 7, set me free from my prison. The prison he was in 
Well, that was the cave that he was hiding in. He needed to hide, it's true, but there are prisons that are far worse than the place you're hiding. It's the prison of the mind and the heart where you start to, to cripple yourself through fear. And he asked to be set free from that. Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. He can't even sing out loud because they'll find him. Set me free that I might praise the Lord loudly, that I might praise him openly. He wants to escape the cave where he's hiding. And there are a lot of people that over the last few months have said, you know what, whatever happens, I mean, I'll be careful, but I've got to get out and I've got to praise the Lord. My mom was sharing with me how in her church, and she hasn't been going because, you know, they've got everything locked down to such a degree that because of her age, they don't really want her there. And if she does go, they they make her stay masked up. She's not allowed to sing. She's allowed to hum. See what I'm talking about? She's not happy about it either, by the way. He longs to praise the Lord after he has delivered him. And he knows that the righteous will support him and protect him if the Lord delivers him. If God delivers him, he believes this is true. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. But you have to deliver me. You're the only one that can. Then he goes on now. David also wrote the next psalm. Psalm 143. It's very similar. Same sort of sentiment. That of crying out to God for deliverance. He cries out to the Lord, hear my prayer. When he says in verses 1 through 2, O Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. You know, don't judge me according to my, my works, because I'll come up short. He's asking for mercy. He's asking for God to do things in his life that he doesn't deserve. By the way, it's a great place to be. You know you don't deserve God's goodness, but you can still ask for it. Amen? He asked the Lord who is faithful and righteous to show him mercy. Deliver me, Lord. Ask him to not judge him for his own unrighteousness as a sinful man. He understood what Paul said in Romans 3, 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, there are some people that will actually not pray because they feel they're too unrighteous to pray. If you were going to take that line of thinking to its extreme, you would never pray. Then David describes the desperate circumstances that he's facing. Verses 3 through 4. Notice this. And this is legitimate fear. I'm not saying that what we're facing today isn't legitimate either. I'm just saying the way David dealt with it is something we can learn from. The enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in darkness like those long dead. So my spirit grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. He's isolated. He's alone. He's in the dark. He's hiding in a cave. You know, his his enemies are, are doing their very best to keep him on the run. Notice, the enemy pursues me, crushes me to the ground. You see, when you're on the run, you're never at peace. And that's how he's feeling. And then it says... We learn here that he's been forced to hide in the darkness of caves, and he likens it unto the spirits in Hades or Sheol. That is like in the place of the dead. In the mind of the Hebrew writer like David, that was the center of the earth. It's sort of a a, a classical way of thinking, but the center of the earth in caves and deep in the ground, that's how he feels. Like he might as well be dead and in Hades or in Sheol. 
That's kind of what he's getting to here. And he says his spirit grows faint. That's what happens to you when you give way to fear. Your spirit grows faint. You could take every vitamin in the world, get the vaccine, wear a mask every moment of your life, and still die inside because of your spirit growing faint. We forget how important our spirits are. You can literally die because your spirit grows faint. Or have we forgotten how much we need the Lord? I think we've replaced our trust in God with a whole lot of other things that really may be helpful, may not be helpful, but certainly are not going to save us from fear. I read here that he's distressed, he's dismayed because of his circumstances. Yes, he is. But what does he do with it? What does he do with that? That's, that's what we want to remember today. And that's why we read in uh, verse 5, I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Selah. I believe that's the last Selah in the book of Psalms. Selah. Think about it. Take a moment. Meditate on that. What he's telling us is that he remembers the scriptures. He remembers the scriptures. He meditates on how the Lord created the heavens and the earth. His works of old. That's what that's a reference to. Because God is the creator of all things and he can deliver us. Amen? He's desperate for the Lord to deliver him from his circumstances. And then he just sort of says, look, Selah, take the time to pause. Consider your need for the Lord to deliver you. That's Selah. That's like, think about it. Just, just, just breathe a little bit. Take a moment. Just think about it. I don't think we do enough of that. You know, one of the things uh, we do, uh, when, when I'm working out and training during the week, one of the things we do before we train, we focus our breathing. We calm ourselves down. We bring ourselves into a place of focus. And it may sound weird and new agey, but let me tell you something. If you're going to train physically, your mind has to be connected to your body. And I've been learning that over these last few weeks, a months now. How to set my mind in a good place so that my body can train physically. And it's amazing. When I'm doing that, I'm not thinking about anything but what I'm doing. That's called being centered, focused, balanced. Now, for me, that's been martial arts. For some of you, that may be just getting out and going to the gym. For, for some of you, that, that may be other things, other activities. But whatever it is that you're not doing that's causing you to feel sort of like your body's detached from your, your, your soul, because that's, that's what it means when we say our spirit goes faint. You need to adjust your life in that way. Now, prayer is the number one thing you can do spiritually. Being in church, praise, fellowship, all of the spiritual exercises. But you might need to take it a little step further. Some of you guys have you know, got your Pelotons and your exercise equipment, and that's working for you, and that's great. Anything that you do that brings you to a place where you're centered and focused and balanced is a good thing. But you put your hope in the Lord. Amen? By doing that, you open up your heart, your mind, and your body to the Lord in surrender. Not to some weird force. This isn't the Jedi Council. This is, this is you truly opening up your heart and your mind to God. And I think Selah is the best way to describe it. 
It just means stop, focus, think. And when you do that, God is able to reach you. David reached a place in this psalm. He's stressed. He's stressed. He's not writing these psalms because things are easy. He's stressed, but he says, Selah. And I imagine in that moment, you know, one of the things we do, we we focus on how we breathe. You know, sometimes I think we need to stop long enough to breathe in the goodness of God. And then it's amazing when you come out of that, you're like, none of these things move me. I can trust in God. If God is for me, who can be against me? But if you don't take a moment and stop and pause and reflect and meditate on the word of God, you're never going to get there and you're going to feel faint all the time. Like, like your, your body's moving one direction, your emotions are another, and your spirit in another, and you're out of balance. Your whole life is out of balance. And you know what caused it? Not fear, your reaction to fear. Your reaction to fear. Fear can be a good thing if you utilize it and bring it to God and surrender your heart to him. It can motivate you. It can direct you. It can bring you to a good place. That's how it worked in David. You know that David became a man of God because of his fearful circumstances? He allowed those things to transform him into the image of God, to become a man of God. What's our excuse? What are we allowing fear to do to us? Then David cries out to the Lord again to deliver him. He always comes back to this place. When he takes a moment to think about it, to feel it, it always brings him to this place where he surrenders to God and says, God, save me. God, deliver me. Lord, bring me out of these circumstances and bring me into the light. And so we pick it up there in verse 7. And this is a long section, but I'll read it all. It says, answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. See, that's what I'm describing as you being out of balance. Your spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, or I will be like those who go down to the pit. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Rescue me from my enemies, O Lord, for I hide myself in you. It wasn't the cave that David was hiding in. It was the Lord. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. (laughs) If you ever noticed anything, if you ever toured a cave, we were in Puerto Rico a couple of years ago now, probably decades. We went to the Camoy Caverns, and one thing I can tell you, the ground was never really level. Have you ever been on a, maybe you've taken a cruise or you've been on a fishing boat, you get what they call sea legs, where you're so used to the ground never really being solid, you just sort of get used to it, your whole body just sort of goes with it, right? You just, you you learn and develop this sort of balance that you can be eating a meal and, you know, you're you're having your lobster and your steak and you're just kind of like going with it because you're used to it. It takes a little while when you get on a ship. For those of you guys who've done some deep sea fishing, you may never really adjust. Some people are better at this than others, depending on your equilibrium. But it's also true that if you, if you hike or if you, if you go into caves or different places, you get used to the fact that your left foot and your right foot are not going to be on the same plane. You're, you're going to be sort of uneven. A couple of years ago, now again a couple of decades, uh, we, we used to go every year up to Lake Mohonk. And we would do rock scrambling. 
And it's a lot of fun, uh, but it's basically extreme hiking. You're crawling through boulders and rocks that have fallen down from a precipice. And I always used to like to say, I wonder what causes a rock to just suddenly fall. I like to say things like that when we're going through there. I'm sick. But as I was crawling through those rocks, you, you get used to the fact it's not level ground. You, you've got to cling with like basically two arms, two feet. Sometimes you're behind. You've got to just sort of, like, it, it's not like walking down the street. It takes you adapting to that type of environment, whatever that environment is, for you to realize the ground isn't level, so I have to change. I have to adapt. How do I do that? In Christ. We keep wanting our circumstances to change, but God is using our circumstances to change us. If David had said, you know what? I don't want to adapt. He never would have become the king of Israel because he wouldn't have grown into the man of God that God had called him to be. You and I, if we're not responding to our circumstances as difficult as they are today, you're missing out on a great opportunity to grow. You realize that? You're missing out. Don't waste these valuable opportunities to grow in Christ. So many people just grit their teeth, bear up under it, and wait for it to pass. You and I, we need to grow in the storm, not wait for the storm to pass. And I say that as we wait for some snowstorm to come in here this week. It's so important. This is all about our response to the difficulties that life brings, that God allows. In these verses that we've looked at, he asked the Lord to respond quickly. I like that, quickly. I pray that way, quickly. I want the Lord to respond quickly. I'm, I don't pray, oh, you know what, Lord, in the next five years or so. No, I'm like, now, we'll be fine. And there's nothing wrong with praying that way. Especially because he wants the Lord to respond quickly to his prayer before he's captured and killed by his enemies. And he pleads with the Lord to deliver him in the morning because he trusts in his unfailing love. It's a way of saying, let, let the night pass and let this be a bad dream. Let, let this be over. Let me be standing on level ground. I'm tired of sitting here. There's no comfortable place to sit. You're, you're always just, you know, you're hiding in caverns and caves. It, it's not comfortable. He asked the Lord, desperately asked the Lord to show him a way to escape his enemies. And if you look and read between the lines in verse 8, Show me the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. That was sort of literal. Show me which way I should go. Like, if Saul's to the right, send me to the left. If Saul's to the left, send me to the right. He literally needed God to show him which way to go. Think about what Isaiah said. You'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. We need to trust the Lord. We need to give our hearts to him and look for God's deliverance, but his direction as well. And that's what David's asking for. He's asking the Lord to provide a way for him to escape from the place where he is hiding. He's looking to get out of these circumstances. How many of us have prayed like that? Lord, get me out and through these circumstances. Finally, we see in verse 10, he asked the Lord to teach him to do his will. That's why we're here today, amen? Amen. Teach me to do your will. Lead me to a safer hiding place. That's basically what he's saying. Lead me to a safer place. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. It'd be nice to be in a place that feels more comfortable. But he knows that that's going to come from God. God has to do that work. God has to lead him. God has to deliver him. And so how does he deal with fear? By coming to God. Very, very simple lesson today, but a powerful one. Finally, 
we get to verse 11. And you know how I feel about these types of prayers. David cries out to the Lord to destroy his enemies. See, the easiest way for him to come out of hiding would be if God destroyed his enemies. I'm good with that. You know that by now. I'm good with that. Now, remember, though, that when David had the opportunity to take out Saul in the cave, he didn't. It happened twice. There were other opportunities he had, and he didn't take them. He didn't touch the Lord's anointed. He didn't get involved. He didn't take that into his own hands. But when you listen to the prayers of David, he says, God, get him. We've seen that recently. He wants the Lord to destroy his enemies. And that would be just fine with me as well. Destroy the virus. Destroy the people who are exploiting the virus. For your name's sake, he says in verse 11, O Lord, preserve my life. I don't know how many times we've read those three words, but I know it's been a lot. Preserve my life. Preserve my life. You know, that's exactly how I pray. Preserve my life. Lord, you know what I actually think? I think to myself, I want the Lord to preserve my life so I can continue to serve him. I've been saying, Lord, just keep me healthy because... Even if I get a little sniffle, I really can't come in here. So just keep me healthy, preserve my life so that I can serve you. Preserve my life. And he goes on to say, In your righteousness, bring me out of trouble. In your unfailing love, silence my enemies. Destroy all my foes, for I am your servant. What I learn here is that David asked the Lord to deliver him in his righteousness. That's God's righteousness from the trouble that he finds himself in. Asking the Lord to destroy his enemies in his unfailing love. Why? Why? Why should you destroy my enemies? Because I'm your servant. We are the servants of the Lord. Amen? As I asked the worship team to come up, I want you to think that through. You're his servant. That means he's your master. That means he's your Lord. That means he's responsible for you. And when you think, let alone say, that God can't protect you and preserve your life, when you give way to fear, you're saying that God is not a good and faithful God. That's what you're saying. When you feel that way, you take those feelings of anxiety and you bring them to God. You surrender them to Him. And your fear becomes an opportunity for faith. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for encouraging us individually as a church family today. We thank you that you have encouraged us to trust you. Lord, we've been so busy just sort of waiting for you to fix things. We, we haven't taken the time to say, Lord, in the midst of these troubles, fix us. Lord, we need to change Of course we want our circumstances to change, but we need to take advantage of this opportunity for you to change us in our circumstances. Oh, Lord God, help us that we might cast our fear, our anxiety on you, knowing that you care for us. We might give our hearts to you, afresh and anew today, trusting you and you alone with our future, with our families, with our church, with our ministries, with our health, everything, Lord, with our country, with, with our nation, as if, as if you need our help to fix things. No, you desire that we would focus in on you and look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith, trusting you in all things. Lord, it starts with trusting that you came and died on a cross for our sins. It starts with that. It doesn't end there. 
We know that you rose again on the third day. We know that you have promised us not only salvation from sin, but newness of life for eternity. We know that you make intercession for us even now at the throne of God and that you're coming again to judge the living and the dead. And we know that you are faithful. And we can trust you with our fears. Help us, strengthen us as we worship and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.